Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Lost Tribe, The Traveler. I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. This week I'll be reading the final chapters of the first book of The Lost Tribe. Boy, it's been an interesting journey. Next week we will continue with the second book, Sins of the Father. If you are enjoying this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, follow, comment, and all those good things that allow me to continue to bring this to you. If you are looking for physical copies of the books, they are available on Amazon. Thank you for listening, and let's get on with the show. Chapter 24 It was an impressive display, and bound to dissuade all but the most foolhardy from acts of violence against him. I walked over to stand in front of Apostos in his huge, imposing armor, and dropped my sword at his feet. He smirked and looked at me questioningly. I slapped him across the face as hard as I could muster. Should have had a helmet, too. He honestly looked shocked that I hit him, probably expecting me to rely on the sword, if our past history was any indication. He rubbed his jaw and started laughing. I stood there, unmoving, betraying no emotion in my face. We stared at each other as his laughter died away. Really, Mick, all this high drama. I realize that you have some problems with me, but we have a job to do, and I really don't think... Slap number two came whistling towards him. This time he saw it coming and grabbed me by the wrist. Stop it, you fool! This is pointless! I kicked one of his legs up from under him, and he fell to the ground. Hard. That armor must weigh a ton. My leg hurt a little where I used it to sweep him, but it was so worth it. He got up very quickly, though, and socked me in the jaw. I landed a few feet away, in a heap. My face felt numb, and a little blood trickled out of my mouth. I heard Casey gasp, and then a gun being cocked. I held up my hand. It's okay. I I'm good. I rose from the ground to see Casey standing out in the open beside Henry and Takum, squinting with one feverish eye down the barrel of a pistol that she had pointed at Apostos. She looked over at me briefly, and then lowered her gun. For what Otomo had just told us, I figured Casey felt the same way I did. I just didn't want her getting in the middle of this. I turned back to face Apostos. When was the first time we met, you and I? I asked him, pulling the leather strap around my hand. He looked at what I was doing and eyed me suspiciously. In Trulane, of course, in your apartment by the sea. Yeah, I remember it well, but uh, no time before that? I began to unwrap the leather strapping, exposing my blackened-handed forearm. I felt the power start pulsing through it again. I heard a sheer gasping of shock from the others, and I flexed my hand. Little sparks of green energy fell from it. What are you doing, Mick? What is this? Oh, I'm just going to jog your memory. I think you've forgotten a few things. I removed the last of the straps and flexed my arm, letting the power race through it. Stay away! Apostos said, his hands closing into fists. Oh, I don't think so. Unless you'd like to tell us the rest of the story that's your... your. Oh, I don't think so. Unless you'd like to tell us the rest of the story that you're so tight-lipped about. Unless you want to reveal the reason for this whole mess. I warned you, he said, and he lifted his hand. The silver light shone out of his eyes and mouth. I stood defiant and strode forward into the light. Nothing happened. Apostos' stern look faltered, and his mouth hung open so low that a shepherd could drive his flock through it. What the hell? I heard Henry say. 
I stepped forward and grabbed his breastplate. It immediately began to smolder from my touch, and wisps of smoke rose from the etched lion. Apostos cried out and tried to make me let go, smashing up my hand, but I would not. For all his strength, he could not stop me, panicking as he watched what my touch was doing to his chest. I was surprised myself, but only because I didn't know exactly what the effect was going to be. It pleased me to see him genuinely distressed. I dug my fingers in deeper. You can't affect me anymore, Apostos. We are equals, as we ever were, if I don't miss my guess. Now, call me by the name you did when you knew me before, and I'll let you go. I looked into his eyes. His breastplate was starting to crack with the power, and green lines of energy were beginning to work their way through the armor. I looked into his eyes and watched the debate going on in those deep pools, weighing the costs. He saw into mine at that moment, and the debate was halted by his own consideration, fear. He began to weep. Say it. Lyconus! I let him go, and he fell to the earth. His breastplate breaking into black smoking shards that crumbled to ash. He threw his arms over his head and sobbed. I watched him weep, my own feelings turning from pity to contempt to rage and back. Penny told me that he knew much more than he was saying, and that he knew who I really was, deep down. I looked back to the others. Henry was standing there, blinking and looking at me in horror. Takum was unreadable, his eyes on Apostos' prostrate form on the ground. Otomo stood now, the ropes falling away from his translucent form, his own sword drawn, and he was eyeing me warily. Casey's lips were trembling, and she was looking at me in fear and disbelief. I couldn't blame any of them for how they felt now. It would probably get worse before it got better. I know how you felt then, I told Casey, biting my lip. I bent over and slapped away Apostos' hands. Look at me! He would not, but instead kept on pathetically whimpering. I grabbed him by the chin with my gloved hand and forced him to look at me. His face was contorted in fear. I wasn't sure if it was directed towards me. He seemed to be gazing upward. Was all this blood, conflict, and misery worth all this? What secrets are so worth keeping that we had to suffer such agony? You answer me, Apostos. Tell us all! Apostos cried out in rage, and he pushed me away. He shrugged off the remains of his armor. I let him rise, and I stood back. He stood there, staring at us and glancing from time to time at the sky. The others came to stand by my side, but Casey would not look at me. Oh, I felt like I'd lost everything, and it wasn't even over yet. I wanted more than anything to take her hand again, but I needed to know the truth, even if it cost me all I had. Say what you mean, Apostos. Whether we like it or not, I think we need to know. Chapter 25 The sky above Taroj was beginning to fill with clouds that would bring more snow. I remembered the deep drifts that were usually left in the aftermath. Drifts that would lay themselves across the village houses like sleeping giants, blocking chimneys and doors with their white bulk. The wind had picked up, and several small swirls of fine snow were beginning to drift across the camp, threatening to choke the remaining coals of the fire. This will not end well, Apostos said, looking up at the sky. For whatever reason, Apostos, you cannot send me away anymore. And I promise you that, as it's your job to move us along, I will fight you at every turn until you tell me what I want to know. I'm just hurrying this thing along because I'm tired of running. I think we all are. Tell us the rest. You have no idea what you are doing. 
or of the consequences. As I said, you don't have any choice here. Tell us, and we'll be on our way. Apostos smiled. I have no doubt about that. We are well and truly doomed, so I suppose it does not matter what I say now. But I can guess that you saw some of what happened to all of you before you became as you are now. What the hell do you mean, as we are now? Casey said. We were all the same before the day I'd put you down. You were all as I am, shepherds, watching the flock. For every garden a shepherd, and for all the shepherds a greater purpose. It all went wrong, though, when one of us was tainted by something we didn't fully understand. He drifted off, gazing at my ruined hand. That one tainted others, perverting them, transforming them into deviant beasts that craved only murder and destruction. He led them on a rampage that spilled onto other gardens, and he murdered his brothers and sisters in the blind rage of the truly berserk before we stopped them all. It is very fitting that you are who you are, Mick. I had no idea, and I think that was the intentional. I had no idea, of course, but I think that was intentional. The others stood there motionless, stunned at the implications of what we were being told. In my heart, I knew now that what I had seen was the truth, and that it would mean so much for us all. Lyconis. Me. I was the corrupted one? Yes. And the people like us, the ones who were part of the kingdom, they were the ones I turned. As I said, I do not know which one of you are the murderers or the victims. It seemed that you are the first, though. Well, who the hell made us? Henry asked. I cannot say! Apostos replied through gritted teeth. The answer will destroy me. Then how did we end up as human beings in the first place? I asked him. He turned away. I grabbed him by his tabard and pulled him up close. Tell me, or we all see what this apparently corrupted, ugly thing can do to your flesh. I said, my fingers digging into the cloth. That is enough! The words were not so much felt as heard, voiced by a force that threw all of us back from Apostos as so many snowflakes in the wind. My eyes were open, I could see a green sun exploding right behind Apostos, who was now on his knees, his arms around his head. There was also a sound like thunder rolling back and forth, nearly deafening because it was seemed so close. From where I lay in the snow, the sun was nearly blinding. My hand started to scream as if it were on fire. I rolled over in agony, clutching it. I felt a pair of arms slip around my chest, and I wasn't surprised to see Casey's face looking over me. She was squirming at the light and saying something to me that I couldn't hear over the thunder. Suddenly, Casey stopped speaking. The light and noise died down to echoes and shadows. Casey seemed awestruck, standing over me with her mouth hanging open and her hands limp at her sides. I rolled over onto my stomach and looked up. Apostles was kneeling now, and tears rolled down his smiling face as he beheld a young man standing where the sun had been. The young man greatly resembled him, but was very slim in build, with golden curly hair that framed a kindly shaven face. He wore the same white tabard as Postos, but wasn't in armor. He was flanked on both sides by the strangest creatures I had ever seen. They were like lions in body, their hide the color of the sea at midnight, their heads more like a hyena, with a lot more teeth and a longer jaw. The eyes of these creatures looked back and forth, catching each of us in turn. A small tail, more fitting a large hound, wagged back and forth as they looked at us. These creatures had no fear of people at all. Sibelius, can it really be you? Apostos said, rising. The young man held up one hand, and Apostos was immediately flattened to the ground. Not Sibelius, exactly, the young man replied. Father? Apostos whispered. Were you not my son? 
he said. You have not truly failed me. Apostos looked over to me, and I could see now that he was truly terrified. I was starting to get there myself. And then the younger man, father, looked at me. He was not smiling. Shall we adjourn to a more appropriate locale? He waved his hand, and the world was blown away momentarily in a flash of green light. Chapter 26 The next moment I opened my eyes and found myself on the shores of a world I didn't know. I stood on a flat plain of granite, dried up and surging with fossils of many shapes and varieties. My father had loved such things, and had carried around paper and charcoal to make an impression of them when he could. There were huge sea creatures in some places, small sea sponges and other tiny varieties of marine life. It looked as if they were all extinguished at once, some kind of cataclysm. I felt an odd pang of guilt and looked away from them. Apostos lay on the ground unmoving and seemingly unconscious. The only other figure was an old man standing with his arms crossed behind his back, looking out at the sea. My father! Da? This is impossible! How can you be here? He turned to me and smiled like he always did when something was very simple to understand and I just wasn't getting it. Nothing's impossible, Mickey. Or should I call you Laconis? You're not my father. Stop stop being him and say what you have to say. I always liked being your father, though, Mickey. I enjoyed talking with you when I needed to check on you to see how things were doing. He's a good man. His face changed slightly. His beard growing longer, his hair wilder. He was not my father, but he was familiar to me. What is this place you've brought me to? Where are the others? This discussion is only between you and I. The others do not need to know everything, although they will in time. As for what this place is, mm, a sad reminder of what happened because I failed to act in time. What are you? I mean, what are you really? Old, Mick. Older than all the worlds, obviously, as I created them, and older again by far. Does that answer your question? Are you God? He laughed and scratched the side of his face. I am not a big fan of that label. I was like you once, although I find it hard to understand or remember what that was really like. Human beings greatly resemble the people that I came from. We lived a long time, but eventually all of them died but me. I passed on and kept evolving until I reached the point that I could no longer go any further. It was a lonely, terrible moment of my existence. Then, after a few centuries of failing and trying to create something that I could commune with, a companion, I realized my mistake. It was my evolution that made me the way I am, not some whim and a dash of power. That's when I made a universe of my own and created a nursery of worlds which I named Gardens, in order to start life there and wait for another like me to surface and grow. Of course, it wasn't as easy as all that. I created shepherds to watch over each of the gardens to ensure that nothing catastrophic would derail the evolution of my children. Little did I know that that catastrophe would come from one of you. I stood there, feeling as if the world were crumbling beneath my feet. I had nothing to say, for what was there to say when you were meeting your maker? 
Inexplicably, something happened to you. Something I didn't see coming. A strange darkness overwhelmed you, and you infected others with it until you had enough, I suppose, to attack your fellow shepherds with. I gave Apostos and your other remaining brothers the power to defeat and subdue you. As I couldn't do it myself, I would have destroyed you in the process. Instead, we merely destroyed your bodies. Your essences were stored in the next generation of humanity so that you would still have a chance to live. You weren't supposed to develop power again, though. Wait, Apostle said he didn't know which one of us was stored in what body. He said he didn't know I was Lyconis. Mick, I'm afraid he didn't want to say anything in front of your friends. The first one you murdered when you were Lyconis was... Casey. No. I felt sick inside and I fell to my knees. How could I have killed her? What was this awful thing inside me? I looked down at my hand and felt the revulsion I had first felt when seeing it at the castle. I cried out and Father put his hand on my shoulder. You know which others you corrupted. Your allies, then, are your enemies now, save two that were your victims. Jack and Penny are only part of the kingdom by association. The others are that way because you made them so. Flesh was the first, then Falkir, then Lethia, and finally Nicholas. Together you threatened to destroy all I created. I'm afraid that Flesh's ministrations upon you release the corruption in full force again. What are you going to do to me? You turned away. I hate to say it, Mick, but you are, as expression goes, small potatoes. Get up. Well, when God tells you to get up. Do you see all these dead things around us buried in the ages of this garden's history? Yes. I said, walking over to him. They are the result of your previous rebellion. Your darkness spread on the worlds you encountered. This garden was yours. And it is barren now. I destroyed everything that was touched by your corruption. I don't want to have to do it again. Not now that human beings have evolved and are beginning to embark on the road that leads them to me. You're going to destroy the kingdom. I cannot do that without destroying everything where they are. My power is absolute in creation, and so too in destruction. Apostos and his brothers are also not powerful enough to do this. You, and the others like you, have power similar to my own, and thwarting that will be impossible, even if I empower others to do the work that I cannot. It is you that must stop them, Mick. And you alone. But I'm corrupted as well. How can I possibly stop them? They can't even die. They can't. But perhaps the darkness inside them can. I have a weapon that I created to try and stop it, in case it returned. I was not meant to wield it. Only one of you may do so. You know what I speak. Glory and sorrow, tragedies and triumphs. I did know what he meant. I thought it was only a dream. That was in my dream. You showed it to me in my father's shack on the waterfront. It was in a box. The box appeared, suddenly at my feet. But why did you show it to me? I wasn't corrupted then. Also, why did you look like Apostos? I took his form to try and stop you from pushing so hard for answers, but I knew that your path might lead you to this point. I had to make sure that you understood the full measure of what I was asking you to do. Open the box. I bent down to the box and flipped open the lid. Green light shone out for a moment in a blaze, and then faded. Inside, lying in a bed of green silk, was a sword. It had its own glimmer, a light that illuminated the silvery quality of the blade itself. 
The guard was ornate, shaped in the symbol for infinity. The grip was formed from finely wrought chain that was wrapped up in tiny loops. The pommel was an emerald, from which a small glow shone. There was a history in this blade that had not yet been written, and I was its author. That much I knew now. I reached down and took it up. There was pain, so much pain in my arm! Ah! Do not put it down, Father shouted. He strode over to me and wrapped his hands around my own that held the sword. My corrupted hand was writhing in agony, but he would not let me loosen the grip. I tried to wrest my hand away, but his strength was unassailable. It will always feel like this. The sword will slow the corruption in you, maybe even push it back down. But it can never completely rid you of it. That, I'm afraid, is impossible. I watched, gasping, as the tendrils of blackness on my arm retreated to where my hand was severed. The green veins dimmed, and the pain lessened to a throb. Okay, let me go. It's better now. Father did let go of me and backed away. You must release the others you corrupted. They must be vanquished with this sword, and the darkness destroyed within them. If you fail, I will destroy humanity and start again. If you do this and the darkness is stopped, then I will make a home for your people where you may live in peace. These are the stakes that you are playing for, Mick. I understand. I took my own sword from the scabbard and tossed it aside. I put my new sword into the scabbard. Funny enough, it fit perfectly. I shook my head. I looked up to see that Father was smiling again. Gather your people, Mick. You have much to tell them. I will, but what about him? I said, pointing at Apostles' unconscious form beside Father. I am going to send him with you. Apostles needs to find some new kind of peace for himself now that his purpose has ended. There must be a price for failure, as you are well aware. What do you mean about his purpose? The battle lines have been drawn, Mick. I may not be able to act directly against the kingdom, but I believe Apostles will be willing to act in my stead. Just to be clear, if I can get Casey and the others to go along with, and that's a big if, Apostles cannot go around banishing us or pushing us around to do his will. Father's eyes rolled back into his head, flickered rapidly, and then he opened them again. It is done. He no longer has his powers. Are you ready to go back now? I nodded. He waved goodbye to me, and the world began to slip away in a rushing sound. As I was whisked away, my heart felt as if a rock had been lifted from it. I laughed as the world disappeared, and it did not die down as I flew onward. Could existence be more strange or wonderful? After. A hot wind blew in through the windows of the citadel in Trelane, through the broken frames and shards of colored glass that once depicted the glories of the world and its people. The somber crimson clouds were caressed by fields of crackling lightning as they pushed across the sky over the city. Thunder rumbled, and the wolfmen of the kingdom howled. As if answering the call, the city trembled. Those folk who hadn't fled when the kingdom took control hid among the ruins keeping clear of the patrols of monsters that roamed the streets. One of those monsters stood upon the main balcony railing, overlooking the city square, and joined his voice to the howls of the wolfmen as the thunder rolled. Falkir's feral form bristled with muscle, and his jaws dripped with spittle as he called out, venting his rage. 
Are you done with all this yet? Falkir spun around, thinking he was alone. The lithe, silent-moving form of Penny leaned against the doorway, leading into the dining hall, wrapped in a white robe with a black shawl on her shoulders. Her red, curly hair looked back in the gloom of the oncoming storm. He bounded down from the railing, raising his claws to strike Penny down where she stood. Penny didn't move. I know you're hurting, Falkir, but Lethia says she needs you to stop encouraging them. She needs quiet to regroup and plan. Falkir's claw came whistling down, stopping a few inches away from the bare skin of her neck. Falkir looked down to see a bared straight razor poised to open his gut, held in the delicate grasp of the kingdom's oracle. He backed away, letting his wolf form recede. He turned away from her then, pulling his kerchief up over his disfigured face. With a slight flick, the razor was sheathed and disappeared into one of her sleeves. Mick needs to die for what he's done, he growled, tightly gripping the railing. That may be true, she replied, but have we all not done things that beg for a proper death? Falkir turned, his eyes narrowing. Are you saying we should show him mercy? Not exactly. Whose side are you on, woman? Penny sidled over to him and leaned on the railing. She looked up into the sky. Flashes of light danced across her face. Does it really matter? Mick is just as much a monster as we are, Falkir. He's beginning to understand that fact. His righteous attitude towards us is just as passionate as our hatred of him and his group. We hurt them, they hurt us, and the chattel of all the worlds lies in between. Our very natures to struggle against each other. For there is no better sport among the worlds. Admit it. Falkir nodded. I feel more alive when I'm trying to end his existence. I only wish for another chance. Then I believe you may be in luck she said, her eyes fixed on the advancing clouds. For one day, perhaps soon, your wish will be fulfilled. The clouds overhead darkened as the night came on, and the winds grew cold. The heat of the day died off in gentle breezes that blew across the desert, casually sauntering along the sands and the black-top strip that led onto the island of light at the end. The city shone like a mirror for the blanket of stars that lay above it. Outside that great conflux of light, small islands of luminance dotted the blacktop as it made its deliberate, relentless stride towards the city. A sleek white convertible with the top down slid into one of those islands, a gas station off of the highway in the desert strip outside the city and came to a halt. The driver got out. His black, unblemished shoes crunched and scraped the desert grit underneath them as he walked across to the pumps and began to fill his tank. While he waited for the fuel to finish pumping, he gazed up at the sky and raised one hand in an obscene gesture. The pump clicked, and the flow stopped. He hung up the nozzle and stepped past the pumps, walking over to the little store that accompanied them. His dark sports jacket blew around him in the slight breeze. He tucked his hands in his pockets. The store was a little glass and steel box. His toothy grin was reflected in the glass as he opened the door and went inside. The attendant at the counter was an older woman, red-haired and a little plump, but pretty all the same. She smiled when he approached, as all women seemed to do when he was around. 
I have a natural charm, he mused. What can I get you? she asked. Oh, just the gas, darling. She rang it up, and he handed her some bills. As she took them from him, he let his thumb glide across her flesh. She jumped a little, but said nothing as she shuffled the bills to make change. Below the counter, he ran his thumb across the skin of his forefinger in slow, gentle circles. She lifted her chin and closed her eyes, smiling. His lips were open slightly, and her breathing was slow and heavy. Come on, let me show you a good time, the man said, flicking lightly across the skin of his finger with his thumb. Okay. She followed him out to his car. His change had slipped from her fingers and fell in a little trail across the way. He smiled as she got inside and leaned over, taking her in his arms. He kissed her and she went limp. He exhaled in satisfaction and pulled out of the gas station lot. As he accelerated away, her body began to rot. In moments, she would be merely bones and dust. He turned and looked at her as if she were speaking. She would never really speak again. Oh, what's that? Oh, I'm just in town to visit the kids. Nothing special. Daddy's here, and he's coming to stay. The road began to warp, and streams of darkness flowed on either side as the world seemed to break away as the car pushed through it. The gulf of nothingness swallowed it up. The man laughed in exultation. The woman's skull fell forward off of the rotten husk of her spine and dropped into his lap, a relic of dry bone and tattered flesh. He picked it up in one hand, chuckled, and tossed it into the darkness. His grim laughter continued as the car hurtled into the nothingness towards its destination. Fill her up indeed. <laughs>